Welcome to the Ultradent Products Podcast. Today's episode is an excerpt from a lecture Dr. Fisher gave at our corporate headquarters in South Jordan, Utah. Uh, I came to love syringes. I came to appreciate the teachings of Henry Ford when he said, true progress is not realized until technology is made available to masses. I came to learn how to mass produce quality dentistry. In the first decade and a half, my dentistry predominantly was amalgam dentistry. It was copolite amalgam, copolite amalgam, copolite amalgam, turn the nut, crank the wrench. I was beginning to feel like I was working on a Ford assembly line, if you will. Fortuitously, changes came about technologically that enabled me to gain more appreciation for dentistry and for even reaching lower socioeconomic groups, for reaching masses, if you will, in more affordable ways. And I came to discover that these new technologies would enable me to keep more humans dentate and yet still take just as much money home to feed my family. It's important that we realize it's not the gross income that's important, it's the net income. And I came to learn that these technologies were win-win-wins. That's going to be what a lot of this program's about. We have a vision at Ultradent, and our vision is that we're passionately driven to improve oral health globally. Our first emphasis is the patient. We are driven for minimal invasive dentistry. We have a BHAG. Do you know what a BHAG is? I recommend the book to all of you called Good to Great. It's the number one book in American business today. It's written by Jim Collins out of Colorado. Now, this isn't just some guru's fanciful ideas and or just his speaking from experience. It's the serious study of 20 PhD graduate students who studied a number of businesses, public companies in America, and they started their research into the records of these companies some 20 years prior to their study. And they were looking for those quality companies that were good companies, but then at about 15 years back, they started to grow, and they continued to grow while other good companies just stayed the same. They then went in and researched the financials. They talked to middle management, to upper management, to people on the line, looking for the common threads that separated those companies that were good but went to great from those that just stayed good. They came to discover that the number one obstacle to becoming great was if you were already good. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And there were many other common denominators that they found. But they found that one of the common denominators for these companies were that they had a BHAG. That's a big, hairy, audacious goal, a BHAG. It's healthy for us humans to stretch. It's healthy for us to have goals that make us push the edge 
if you will. Probably the most famous BHAG of my lifetime and the lifetime of many of you that are around my age or older, it occurred when John F. Kennedy stood in front of our American public and even on the heels of multiple failures of rockets blowing up on the launch pad, a Spudnik circling around the globe and exclaiming, I believe we must go to the moon. And he shared with the public that when the first man steps on the moon, a populace will step there with him. And when that first human returns, a nation will return with him. And before the day was done, scientists were questioning what would a footprint look like on the moon. And with the hard efforts of 400,000 humans driven for a common goal, by 1969, we were on the moon. That's a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. Our BHAG is we want to bring a cure to caries. We believe it's virtually goofy how long this barbaric disease has continued. You know, we're still scooping out rotten parts of teeth that have been decayed away by an infectious disease, bacterial origins and we're plugging holes. That's rather amazing when one thinks on it, particularly when one puts it in the perspective of so many other infectious diseases that we've brought cures for. We believe that if we could bring a cure for caries today, we'd still need more dentists. Why? Wow, number one, people are living longer. Our, us baby boomers, we're not gonna be content with dentures. We want to stay dentate past 100 years of age, and many of us are going to live past 100 years of age. I'm going for 150 myself. <laughs> I expect to be sexually active. I expect to have all my teeth. And it's your guys' jobs to help see to it that I remain dentate. Wow, it's going to be a different century, this 21st century. People want their smiles to be more pleasing. Teeth are like tires, they're good for so many miles, the treads wear out. The sidewalls, the flexing, the bending give out. The perio and the rest. We'll still need more dentists. Our second emphasis on our vision is we want our materials to be user-friendly. Our third emphasis is humanity. We believe that to bring change for improved oral health we believe that science, technology, if you will, creativity and education that'll make it happen. Governments have not proven to be very successful in delivering oral health care or virtually any health care, if you will. That's where we want to go. We'll share with you later on who we believe we are in this journey. I encourage all of you, if you haven't already done it, to determine where you're going. If you don't know where you're going, you'll end up somewhere else. There's another way of saying that. If you don't know where you're going, that's where you'll end up. It's important that we know where we're going. It's important that dental practices have a vision, a mission, so everybody on the team knows where they're going, if you will. 
Here you see my very first patient. Her name's Judy. The year's 1971. They assigned Judy to me because she needs some simple class one restorations. So at four hours per restoration, I malleted in my gold. I worked, I burnished, I polished. I made it look like virtual jewelry, if you will. I learned how to develop my point angles, internal, external, with the tutelage of the Peter K. Thomas down the street. We learned how to develop our cones, our lighthouses, our cusfossa relationships, our occlusal harmonies, polishing our gold, even coming to call our gold restorations permanent, as Vikratoroskug of Sweden would say, permanent, permanent. I did discover as years went by that albeit my gold was permanent, my patience, they could fall out. I learned I could cover a multiplicity of sins with my gold. I could reach to apical proportions should the need arise. And tonsillar tissues was not beyond my reach. I came to even call my gold aesthetic, if you will. It was permanent and aesthetic nonetheless. And I felt my gold would carry me into the 21st century. In the late 80s, I came to discover I could address some of the sins of the oral cavity with less invasive materials, preserving more tooth structure. I found I could even bring repair to my old permanent gold restorations, if you will. They taught me in dental school how to lock my wrist, so to place moldable pins inside of tooth, outside of canal. I discovered in the 80s that some of the teeth I put pins into in the 70s, they died in the 80s. Fortuitously, with the help of my gold foil, I could seal that access opening and cover that additional sin, if you will and bring back some semblance of me knowing what I'm doing to the oral cavity, if you will. I discovered in the 90s that some of the teeth I put pins into in the 70s that died in the 80s, they went dark in the 90s. Fortuitously, I could selectively bleach them to bring back some level of harmony to the smile, if you will. Progression driven by gorgeous change, shalt have no top. If it were not so, mediocrity would be our lot. Today I'd pluck those out, I'd drop them in a bucket, I'd place some implants, something a little more predictable for those I serve. Here you see gold work I did as a dental student in 1973. My patient, she is falling out. Here you see little Elba. Little A. Elba taught me a lot. In fact, the older I get, the more I discover that those around me teach me more than I can ever teach them. My 14 children have taught me more than I've taught them. My patients have taught me a lot. I seen little Elba in the early, or rather in the mid-70s. I placed 20 gold foils in little Elba. Little Elba was not poor. 
In fact, little Elba was married in 1917 at age 17 to an Italian immigrant, Southern California. He went on to become a multimillionaire, making it in real estate in the booming years of Southern California. He set up charge accounts in the fanciest stores for little Elba. Little Elba throughout her lifetime would never have more than two dresses at a time in her closet. She ended up giving most of her money away to people she thought could use it better than her. She did keep enough to maintain her health. Here you see little Elba in 1976. Little Elba's 76 years old in 1976. And in the 70s, not only were our fillings orange, our paper goods were orange, our operatories were orange, it was an orange world in the 70s. That it was. Here you see little Elba in 1996. And in 1996, little Elba is 96 years old. She says she lives to be so old because she eats all the dark European chocolate she can find. <laughs> it must be 60% cocoa or higher or she won't waste her time. Little Elba's got arthritic fingers. We've got to keep her solid. Got to keep her chewing. Got to keep her smiling and enjoying her dark chocolate, if you will. I haven't seen little Elba in about three years. She's moved to another state to be with family. I look in her oral cavity. I say words to myself I can't repeat out loud. I'm thinking, oh, but if I could have reached you sooner, perchance some sonic brushes and some fluoride trays and whatever else to help prevent this destructive process. Will rubber dam work here? Will amalgam work here? Is it appropriate that I place 28 new crowns in little 96-year-old Elba? Might it be too invasive to her frail little body? Wow. This is the type of dentistry we will see more of, at least until we can get ahead of this carious process, if you will. With our aging populations, it's the now, it's the future. We must be able to address these kind of needs. We must be able to do quality adhesive dentistry and even in locations where rubber dam can't work. We must be able to predictably gain control of seeping, bleeding tissues, creating an environment that's conducive to quality adhesive dentistry in even the most challenging of locations. And she's good for another 2,000 miles. Helen Keller, she stated there's no such thing as permanence, as security. It does not exist in the laws of life and the laws of nature. All of us are but guests on this gorgeous globe. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for an upcoming podcast, please call 1-800-268-9010. You can also send us an email at ultradentnews at ultradent.com.